Praise God. Welcome to everybody tonight. So glad to have you. We've got, not only do we have folks out of town since it's summertime, but I know we've got several people uh, that are at some of the viewings again. Brother Whaley's father passed away this week, and uh, his funeral is at 9 a.m., and then Brother Weaverling's funeral is at 11 and uh, both of those had repasts or um, viewings this evening, and uh, some folks felt to be there for that. So, but you're here, and most importantly, as we already know, Jesus is here. Amen. If you're watching us online, wherever you may be watching from, we welcome you. Pray that you're blessed by this service tonight. If you're not standing and you're able to stand. What a great weekend we've had here starting Thursday night with the Maryland D.C. District Go Conference. And uh, this is, <laughs> this will be Brother Sistrunk's eighth time to minister since Thursday night. <laughs> so, um, we're, we're, we're working him hard, real hard. I, I got a feeling he's up to the task, but I, I do want to say sincerely how much I appreciate. Uh, we were talking at lunch today, and um, his travel schedule with his responsibilities is just crazy. And um, I, I want to say how much I appreciate him being willing to stay over and minister. And um, I'll tag on to what I said at the beginning of the service. I think the message he preached here this morning is also an answer as well to how it is people stay strong till the end. So if you weren't here this morning, you need to go online and watch or listen. And uh, very, very important to your walk with God and relationship with God. So, Brother Sistrunk, again, thank you so much for your ministry this weekend and to us today and for being willing to stay over and be with us and uh, again, please come and just be at home. Take your liberty tonight. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. Great to be in the house of the Lord again. I, I never get tired of being in church. Now, I get tired sometimes, but I never get tired of being in church. Amen. And it's so great to be in this church. Um, I never fail to come here but that I don't receive something myself. Amen. I leave encouraged and refreshed. Um, I just thank this church so much for how much you give to the United Pentecostal Church. Not only financially, but uh, this every almost every district function I've ever been to with the Maryland district, this church was involved some way. Uh, either it was held here. I remember coming here. Oh, 20 years ago or so, maybe 25 for meat meetings. And, uh, you know, there, and there were some of you serving at that meeting, right? We were all praying and, 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 and you guys make sure we had coffee and juice and, uh, that uh, everything was cleaned up. And, you know, thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for sharing your bishop. To be the Maryland District Superintendent, you know those jobs don't come with pay, right? You know, they, they volunteer, and so you're paying him to be 
the district superintendent <laughs> and every other district position. And, you know, uh, give and it shall be given. Good measure. Pressed down. Shaken together and running over. And I just want to say thank you to this church. I noticed the Stockton Choir is coming and going to be with you all. Thank you for having the Stockton Choir come to Maryland because my son was working for Brother Reaver on a summer internship. And you all had the Stockton Choir come and he met his wife. I have two beautiful grandchildren because you all had Stockton Choir come out. I appreciate that. I... <laughs> Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Well, isn't it good to serve the Lord? It's good to give, isn't it? It's good to give. It is more blessed to give than to receive. I learned that lesson in a very profound way. Uh, I didn't have to learn it on my own. Uh, there was a minister, uh, a pastor in Louisiana, Brother Allen, uh, had a wife, uh, two boys, and uh, no, it wasn't Brother Allen. I'm sorry. I've, I've got it mixed up with another story. But uh, anyway, his he, he went deer hunting, and he fell out of the deer stand and died unexpectedly left two teenage boys and so they moved to Jackson Mississippi and this lady um, who had been a pastor's wife and used to being in a position of giving pastors give all the time and giving all of a sudden she found herself in a situation to where she was having to receive and her kids came into the youth group. I was on the youth staff. and So i never forget, she met uh, with Brother Reaver. I was working with Brother Reaver in Jackson, and, and she said this to him. She said, well, she said, I can truly say now that I know what it means. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And that just impacted me, and I thought, man. I never want to forget that. And I believe there's great things for this church. I don't believe, I believe your greatest days are ahead. I said, I believe your greatest days are ahead, not behind. I believe that every promise that God's ever made about revival on the East Coast and how this church is going to be uh, at the forefront of that, I believe it's all ahead of us. Amen. Are you going to be part of it? Amen. I want to be part of it. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 through 15. I, I really uh, appreciate Brother David Wright. His name is not Chester. That's, that's for sure. And uh, I appreciate the way God orchestrates everything. And I know that the future is so bright and i know that god is putting us together brother right god has been putting us together for several years and i just you know you never know what god's going to do but i sure do know that he does it right amen praise god he's got a plan and i say a little bit of it but i know he's got a grand scheme amen and i'm glad i'm part of it i want to stay part of it 
I want Jesus to be the center. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse nine through 15. This is, you're going to see Paul's heartbeat right here. This is, you know, these help, self-help gurus, they talk about personal mission statements and, and, and all of that. You're, you're, I'm going to read to you the apostle Paul's personal mission statement right here. This is what he, he's talking about himself. He said, wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. That's, that's your number one priority. It's not about whether or not you accept Jesus. It's about whether or not he accepts you. We labor whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. I hope you're keeping the end in mind. I hope, I said, I hope you're keeping the end in mind. That's one thing I don't, uh, like funerals necessarily, but funerals of people who have lived a great life and served God really a, is a homegoing celebration, but it all, it should remind us that we're going to all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And Paul lived with this in mind. He lived with that in mind. Does, does God accept me and what I'm doing? Is he pleased with me? And am I ready to meet him? He said that everyone may receive the thing. We appear at the judgment seat of Christ so that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that you may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, whether we be sober, it is for your cause, for the love of Christ constraineth us. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. I want to focus your attention on the verse. I, I don't have the number, but I think it's verse uh, 10. Or He said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Amen. I'm going to preach to you on this subject, the great persuasion, the great persuasion. Lord Jesus, we love you tonight. We thank you for your presence that's here. Thank you for this wonderful church. God, I pray that you will speak to us, God. I pray that you will speak to us, God. I pray that you would change us tonight. God, I pray that somebody will get just a word. They'll see something, God, they've heard for many years. They've heard many sermons on it. They may have read it over and over in your word, but God, quicken it to them tonight, God. Let it be a life-changing moment, God, a new way of thinking. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. 
the psalmist said, when I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visiteth him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. It is the wonder of my life that God loves men. And I, I, I know if you've been in all eight sessions uh, today, I, I, I'm always talking about God's love for people. We can't talk about it enough because it's why we exist. You better know God cares about you. He cares about what you do today. He cares that you're here. He cares about how you worship. He cares about how you talk to your wife or you talk to your husband. He cares about what you've got on your playlist. He cares about us. Oh, come on now. It matters what you do and what you say and where you go and what you watch and what you listen to. God cares about it. I'm glad he does. I'm glad he does. Hallelujah. I I care about my children. I care about everything that goes on in their life. Uh, my baby is 27 years old now. Uh, and my oldest is 30 years old now. But I will tell you this. I care still about what they're doing. Amen. I'm thinking about them today. I, I, I don't, not a day goes by that I don't, there's not anything that I wouldn't give them. One thing that I grew up with, and and not everybody does, I, I thank God that I grew up with a godly father. I think I was. I'm glad I was raised by in a Christian home, and and I went. I've gone through life. My dad passed about ten years ago, but I I went through life knowing that at any time. Everything that my dad owned was mine. And if I needed something, he was going to be there. That's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. And I feel the same way about my heavenly father because it's true. He said, if an earthly father knows how to give good gifts to his children, how much more does your heavenly father... He said, we allow our earthly fathers to discipline us and we respond to it even though it's difficult, right? Uh, my dad loved me, but he beat me sometimes. I just have to tell you, he, he, it, it hurt. Uh, he, 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 he punished me. He withheld things from me. He grounded me. He, he disciplined me and I took it and I love him today. Amen. I love him. And you know what? Uh, God disciplines us and because He loves us. Whom the Lord uh, loveth, He chasteneth, the Bible says, many times. And, and so God cares about you today. He cares about what you're thinking right now. He cares. He's watching over. And, and, and you know what? We're like rebellious teenagers sometimes. We're like, leave me alone, God. Why do you care? About what I'm doing. And God won't leave you alone. Have you ever experienced that? Uh, it's like, God, chill out. You know, I, it's just a little. No, God says, hey. I want to know where you're at. It's 11 o'clock. 
You're supposed to be home. Come on. God cares. That, that, blow, that blows my mind. There's seven and a half billion people in the world. And God cares about all of us. Some of us are in the fold and the rest he calls lost. The reason they're lost is because they have a place. Something that doesn't have a place is not lost. It means you own it. It means you possess it. There's cars out there in the parking lot. To me, they're not lost. They're not mine. But if I can't find my car, that's a crisis. It's lost because I own it and I don't know where it is. And, and he, he, ta- he said, all the souls are his. Come on. If they're not in the kingdom, they're lost. Why are they lost? Because they belong to God and they have a place. They're his and he's wondering where are you? Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let me tell you, you belong to God, and if you get lost, He's coming looking for you. He's coming looking for you. you you're going to have to run and hide from Him. You're going to have to get somewhere where it's dark. You're going to feel God looking for you. Hallelujah. There's not a backslider in the world that God's not knocking on their door every day. God is knocking on their door because they're misplaced. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, God loves people. God spends his time. Everything about the universe is designed to speak to people. Psalm 19, 1 through 6, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech. And night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language. Where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth. And their words to the end of the world. Listen to that. Their words. The heavens are speaking. Convincing. In him hath he set a tabernacle for the son, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of heaven and his circuit to the ends of it. And nothing is hid from the heat thereof. Everything about this world is speaking the glory of God and is speaking to mankind. Uh, uh, the poet Hugh Hutton said it like this. He said, if stars could speak with an audible voice, they would, uh, uh, they would gaze, uh, they would bar the language of the poets, gaze on that arch above, the glittering vault admire. Who taught these orbs to move? Who lit their ceaseless fire? Who guides the moon to run in silence through the skies? Who bids the dawning sun its strength 
and beauty rise. The answer they compel is God, an omnipotent, eternal God. We have an unmistakable and untiring witness. Every day the sun comes up, it's a play, it's a drama that says, look at me, look at me, look what I can do, look how much I love you, look how much I care for you, that I, I give you the sun, I give you nighttime to sleep by, I, 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 I order it all and it's very consistent because I love you and I make it rain on the just and on the unjust. The heavens declare The glory of God. God's first attempt to compel mankind to serve Him is creation. When He made Mount Everest, when He made the Grand Canyon, when He made the rivers, when He, when He shaped Alaska, He was uh, making a display to convince mankind to serve Him. We're supposed to look with awe and wonder at the natural beauty of this earth. And we're supposed to say, oh, where is the God that made this? We're supposed to make us reach for God. We're supposed to be in such awe and wonder because God is speaking. Their words go out to the end of the earth. But I'm going to tell you something. It didn't work. And it doesn't work. Mankind looks at the stars. We got the Hubble's telescope now. We can see uh, the most beautiful things, and the, the beauty of the universe just increases as far as you go. It, it, it's amazing what God has done. We can only see just a tiny bit of what He has done. Uh, ancient man couldn't see much at all, but we can see even more. And it, uh, man looks into the heavens, and they say, "Wow." It all got there because of a big explosion somewhere. Oh, look what that little stream of water carved over billions of years. Man, how did that happen? Men are hard-headed. God has been trying to reach them. Earthquakes. Volcanoes exploding. Eclipses of the sun. All the natural wonders. And yet, God couldn't get anybody but Abraham to serve him for 2,000 years. For 2,000 years, God, after the fall in the Garden of Eden, God speaking. And nobody listening. Isn't it amazing? It's the world. uh, Let me ask you this. It's the world listening to God right now. No. They're not listening to God. They go further to the depths of the ocean. They go to the moon and Mars. And they still find regions to reject God. God tried fear. Eight souls were saved. He he decided to destroy, destroy all of mankind. A rainbow shows in the sky to remind us of that. Those eight souls saw the destruction of the whole world. They watched God destroy everything and everybody. 
And they came out of the boat and the world that had been populated is now, they're the only people alive. You would think they could serve God for five minutes. But it wasn't long. They were drunk. They were engaged in sexual immorality. And it wasn't too long after that the people that uh, grew up saw the impact of the flood, saw how it had carved everything and had uh, Noah and his son said, now before the flood it didn't look like that. But that's what happened to the flood. They, they had all of this information and they said, we better build a tower to heaven so God won't ever do it again. And they shook their fist in the face of God and said, you'll never destroy us. tell you something, that person you're praying for, to, that God would get their attention, you think cancer's going to get their attention, you think a car wreck's going to get their attention, it's not going to get their attention. Fear doesn't work very long for people, it may shake them up for a little while, but it's they're going to go right back to where they were. You go to a funeral, you hope that somebody will be shaken up because of death and seat judgment. It may work for two weeks. Fear doesn't work. Think about the children of Israel and the smoke and the fire and all of that. They saw the destruction of Egypt and then it didn't work. He spoke to them from the mountain. Children of Israel, God, you know, you think people, I prayed this prayer so many times. God, just speak to them. God, make it clear to them. Lord, uh, you know, uh, uh, wake them up at night. Give them a dream. Just speak to them. God showed Nebuchadnezzar the history of the world. I may be too deep for some of you. You may not remember that. I don't have time to tell. He 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 saw all of human history in a vision, in a in a dream, in Daniel chapter two, and and, and Daniel he couldn't even remember it. Daniel uh, uh, gave him the dream and the interpretation. He said, "Yeah, that's what I saw." And and Nebuchadnezzar still rebelled against God. Wound up having to be judged and went out ate ate grass like a wild beast. God judged him. He got lifted up. Clearly that God spoke to him. You'd think, I've thought before, God, why don't you just write on the wall? And he's like, well, I tried that. If God wrote on the wall for somebody tonight, you know what? You'd, you'd, it'd make you shake a little bit. You'd, you'd think, "Woo, that's something else. And then in just a few days, you'd be back doing the same thing. He's tried it all. When I started church in Ann Arbor, I said, God, I was I was up at the University of Michigan Hospital. I had my father-in-law is Irvin Baxter, and he gave me a whole bunch of magazines so for free. So that's, I said, well, I'll use these. I stapled a church card in it, and I went and put them in the waiting room at the hospital. And they had uh, seven floors, I think it was, or six, and... And they had a waiting room. I'd just go up and I'd, I'd put end time magazines in, in there. And I was up on the sixth floor one day and I said, God, 
I know how to start a church in Ann Harbor. I said, this thing I'm doing teaching Bible study, that's too hard. I said, here's what we need to do. I said, just let me go in every room on the sixth floor and lay hands on all these people and let them all get up out of the bed, follow me down to the lobby. We'll call the newspaper. We'll have a press conference. Boom. Boom. That's a good plan. I just have to tell you, that's a good plan. I thought it was. And you know what he said? He said, I tried that. He said, I healed all of them. Miracles don't work. I'm going to tell you two of the greatest miracles I ever saw. Two greatest miracles I ever saw. Lady had MS. She was in a wheelchair. She sat right over here. We were having to take meals over to her house because she had lost the ability to take care of her children. This wasn't somebody came off the street, said they had MS. We knew she had MS. She was part of the church. She contracted MS. And we, she deteriorated. We were helping her feed her children. And, and she was, she was, sh- shaking so bad she couldn't walk so she had to be in a wheelchair she had these dark uh thick glasses on her eyes because she had optic neuritis and and she was very light sensitive and and so uh she she was just we didn't know how long she was going to live and we were having a revival with brother stone king and uh the holy ghost was moving and and Brother Stone King laid hands on her, or somebody did. I can't remember if he did it. But in in the middle of that revival, we laid hands on her. I never will forget it. She got out of that wheelchair. She stood up. And she got her feet under. And I, I remember she started walking kind of slowly. And she's walking. And you could tell she's getting stronger. And she started up the steps to the platform. Well, we about tear the place down. She she couldn't even walk. Now she's walking up the stairs. She pulls those dark glasses off. She says, I think God has healed me. She said, I can see. She she looked up at the light. It didn't bother her. And she, she starts dancing on the platform. I'm telling you, it was a bona fide miracle. She doesn't have MS today. And that's 20-something years later. I'm telling you, God healed her before my eyes. I'm sad to report to you tonight that six months later she was backslid and smoking cigarettes. Backslid today. Healed and backslid. Second greatest miracle I ever saw was uh, a lady, uh, her husband worked in Brother Nix's print shop. He had worked in Brother Nix's print shop for a year, maybe 20 years. We we knew him, knew his family. They didn't, they didn't come to church. They were Catholic. Uh, had a minister there who was preaching on healing and, uh, somebody invited Mr. Bennett. His, his, uh, his wife was legally blind. She had red and white cane. She, he had to lead her around. She could see somewhat. She had big glasses on. She could see shadows and stuff, but, uh, she couldn't see enough to be on her own. And we knew this. We knew this for years. We knew his wife and knew his situation, and he had to take care of her because she was blind. Well, that night she came down for healing. We had prayer, and 
And she came down and they laid hands on her. And I'll never forget it. Uh, he was standing here. She was standing here. Preacher was here. She takes off her glasses. She looks around. She says, your tie doesn't match. Told her husband, your tie doesn't match. She said, I can see. I, and she's looking around. We about tore the place down. Man, we shouted. We danced. I mean, I, I, I bona fide miracle. You know, she never came back to church. Never one time. Died had, having never come back to church. God can't do it. By himself. I'm going to tell you again. God can't do it by himself. Isaiah said, therefore, my people shall know my name. Listen, God is speaking through Isaiah. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, they shall know in that day. I am he that does speak. Behold, it is I. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publishes peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publishes salvation, that saith unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. The watchmen shall lift up the voice with the voice together. They shall they sing for they shall see eye to eye when the Lord shall bring again Zion. Paul quotes it in Romans 10. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? God can't persuade people without a preacher. It takes a man or a woman. It takes somebody that will preach the gospel. Heaven can't declare it. Uh, miracles won't do it. Fear won't do it. God can't reach people without a preacher. Paul goes on to say, how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. There is a divine principle that the only that's going to save people is the voice of another human being. They have to be persuaded. The apostle Paul understood that. He understood. He said, therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. I'm here to tell you, Maryland is not going to be reached by angels. Maryland is not going to be reached by heaven. Maryland is going to be reached through human beings. Somebody has got to spread the gospel. Somebody has to talk to somebody. You can be in your prayer closet all day and you should spend time in the prayer closet. But somebody's got to get out of the prayer closet. Somebody's got to go talk to somebody. Somebody's got to persuade somebody to believe the gospel. We've been called for this. When you get saved, you become part of God's gospel-spreading machine. 
the church is God's way to reach the world. It's His kingdom. The divine principle. We we know, right, that the sons of God shouted for joy when the earth was created. Some of y'all acting like y'all don't believe what I'm preaching, so I'm going to have to preach a long time. Y'all better say amen. (laughs) I'm going to stay here till I persuade you. Amen. That's my job. My job is to persuade you. Come on. There's a divine principle. The sons of God shouted for joy when God created the work the world. They they thought that was awesome. Wouldn't wouldn't you have liked to have been there? It must have been an awesome sight. But you know what they rejoice over today? The Bible says how we know they rejoice over one sinner that repents, right? Heaven has a party when a sinner repents. What does that mean? When a sinner decides I'm going to turn around. Repentance is an old English word that means turn around. It's a change of heart. It means that they were serving Satan. They were serving their own self-interest. They were sold out to sin. But now they're turning around and they're choosing God. They're choosing God. They, they have given their life over to the Lord and heaven rejoices about it. They just dance and shout and blow trumpets and, and carry on. But you know what? Heaven is helpless. The only reason that person repented It's because somebody preached to them. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Ooh, you act like you don't believe it. Maybe that's why you hadn't won a soul. Maybe you're waiting on God just to send somebody. Maybe you're waiting on God just to turn somebody's car in the parking lot. Maybe you're just waiting on God to send a harvest. God's not sending a harvest. You're going to go reap the harvest. That's why you're sharpening your sickle. It's so you can go put it in the harvest. Oh, hallelujah. I, I, I preached this the other, uh, I preached this the other night, but at the end of the Old Testament, man, God's kingdom is in shambles. He doesn't have anybody. Think about it when Jesus shows up in the temple. That's, this is supposed to be all the people that are serving God. And he tells the people that are in charge of the temple, he says, you're, you're full of dead men's bones. The people who were, uh, all of, if God had a kingdom on earth, it was the Jewish people. They were the only people that knew Jehovah. They were the only ones that had the Hebrew scripture. That, that was the center of God's kingdom. And they crucified the Lord. But God had all, he, Jesus had already told his disciples, he said, I've come to build a church upon this rock. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church is God's kingdom on earth and we are compelling people to come. We are inviting, we are preaching, we are pulling, we are convincing, we are persuading. 
And when heaven sees somebody going to preach the gospel, they say, look at those beautiful feet. How beautiful are the feet of them that carry the gospel. Heaven loves to see somebody going to persuade somebody. They get excited about it. Heaven's not impressed with Mount Everest. They're not impressed with the glaciers in Alaska. They're not impressed with the galaxies out here. They're impressed when they see a man or a woman put the shoes on. And they're headed to a Bible study. They're headed to talk to somebody at work. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel. Hallelujah. 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 God needs us. This isn't a game. I love church life. Church life is wonderful. God has provided it for us. He's given us the five-fold ministry. He's given us the gifts of the Spirit. Church life is wonderful. Aren't you glad you got a church? People don't realize how Wonderful it is for this church to come together and you raise your hand. I'll bring a casserole. I'll bring some Kentucky Fried Chicken. I'll bring some green beans. And we're going to love on these people that have lost their loved ones. And we're going to fellowship with them. And we're going to help them heal. And that's a beautiful thing. Aren't you glad you're part of that? Aren't you glad you're able to get to help people and It's great that we pastors, we get aggravated about it sometimes. Everybody's sitting in the same spot every week, you know. We want you to move around a little bit. But isn't it good to sit in the same? I bet the people over here, y'all don't even know these people over here, do you? Y'all sit over here every week. And you... It's all right, though. You love those people you're sitting by, right? And you keep up with them, and y'all know, y'all, y'all look for each other, and and when there's, when everybody else is here, when it all gets crowded, y'all still trying to find each other over here. You know, there was, there was people get my seat. Y'all get it. You may not get your regular seat, but you get as close as you can, right? I love it. I love church life. Grew up in it. Grew up sleeping under the pew. But you know what? You got to realize that more people need to be in church life. We can't just get all satisfied and soak it up and say, well, this must be why Jesus died. It's so I can have a good time. My father-in-law had three daughters. And I married the oldest daughter and the most beautiful and the most talented daughter. Anyway, uh, we would go home on... Thanksgiving and Christmas, and Kara, if Kara was here, I'd tell this story too. She tells her testimony. My father-in-law was a pastor for 35 years, and Kara, when she was 16 years old, let's just say it the way it is, some married man in the church seduced her. Nowadays, we'd put him in jail. But she ran off with a married man in the church. Guy's wife had two baby twin daughters. 
You talk about a mess. It was a mess. A scandal. Imagine your pastor, the way he felt. And for 10 years, Kara was backslidden, did everything she was big enough to do. There was no depth of sin that she did not experience nearly. I mean, just did everything she could to fulfill Satan's promise. If you do this, it'll bring you happiness. Well, I watched my father-in-law 